Hello, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Drug Training Podcast. In this episode, I'll give you some helpful tips on identifying the drug abuser. This comes in handy whether you're a police officer needing to expand your knowledge, or you're in business and need help identifying drug-abusing employees, or you're a parent just trying to see if your kids are abusing drugs. It's a great skill to have, and it's helped me immensely, not only in my professional life, but in my personal life too. Welcome to the Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves, a police officer who spent 28 years specialising in drug investigations and who regularly teaches law enforcement officers, private businesses and concerned families on spotting and dealing with drug use. This podcast is the essential resource for both professionals and individuals who need practical help, advice and insight. Now, here's your host, Keith Graves. Welcome back to the Drug Training Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Graves from OnlineDrugTraining.com. First off, before we start this session, I just want to say that it's important to have formal drug influence training. What we're about to talk about is not a substitute for that training, and this is only meant to be a primer on identifying people that might be high on drugs or abusing drugs. You can get this training from my live classroom training, Drug Abuse Recognition, which we'll have later this year in Brentwood, California, and it's post-approved through California. Or you can attend the Drug Recognition Expert School, but that's a really long school, and you're going to have to dedicate a whole lot of time for that. You're looking at a minimum of two weeks in the class, another week out in the field, and then having to attend a refresher course every other year. So it gets a little... uh, time intensive. Okay, so before we talk about identifying a drug abuser out on the street, it's important to talk about routes of administration. How are these people are going to take drugs into their body? So just as an idea, there are several different methods. So we're going to go over each one individually. You have smoking or you have huffing. And that's basically where you're going to inhale vapors. So smoking could be smoking a joint. It could be smoking a crack pipe. Huffing, it could be somebody that's just inhaling can of dust off or paint or glue or something like that. That's going to take them 7 to 10 seconds to get high. It's the fastest method out there. It's faster than injecting because when you inhale the drug, it immediately goes into your lungs and it immediately gets absorbed into the bloodstream through oxygenated blood. Most people think injecting is the quickest route of administration, but If you slam it, if you do intravenous injection, it's 15 to 30 seconds. If you muscle it, meaning you put it in a muscle, it's three to five minutes. If you do subcutaneous or sub-Q or skin popping, they're all the same thing, it's three to five minutes. So here, the reason why it takes longer is you're usually, in most of the time, they, they do IV or slamming it. Here, when they slam it, they're putting the needle into a vein, and the drug goes into the vein, the vein delivers it to the heart, where then it gets oxygenated through the lungs and then spread to the rest of the body. If you smoke the drug instead of slamming it, it immediately goes into oxygenated blood and you're skipping that whole step of shooting it up into a vein. So it's the quickest. So again, IV is also called slamming where you're just shooting up into a vein. That's 15 to 30 seconds. That's the most common. Another route of administration is snorting it or mucosal exposure. And here you're snorting a powder. Uh, Or you're placing it under the tongue or on the gums. So, uh, you know, it could be snorting methamphetamine. It could be snorting heroin, snorting cocaine. Some people take cocaine and rub it in their gums. I've seen people 
try to do it with meth too, but you're looking at three to five minutes before you get high using that route of administration. If you eat it or drink it, what a lot of like a lot of uh, meth addicts, what they'll do is they'll take all the bags that they that contain their methamphetamine that they that they bought from a drug dealer and then they used up the product, but there's still some product left in those little Ziploc bags. They'll save up all those bags and they'll put it in like a two liter bottle of Coke that's you know only a quarter full. They'll stick a whole bunch of bags in there and they'll swish it all around and then they'll drink it. I've seen people take methamphetamine and put it in toilet paper and then swallow it like a pill because they're afraid to shoot it, smoke it, or snort it. There's different ways of doing it like that. It could be taking a pill, like taking an ecstasy pill and swallowing it, just to give you an idea of how people are going to take drugs orally. And there, it takes anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. Sometimes it might take longer. So again, it takes a long time to get there. But there's other routes of administration too. There's, it's called booty bumping, and that's where you're going to take a drug rectally. The reason why that works so well is because the anus is very venous. There's a lot of veins down there. And uh, it, if you swallow an ecstasy pill, you're looking at 30 minutes and you lose a lot of potency because the stomach's going to, is going to destroy a lot of the ecstasy and digestion. But here, if you take that same ecstasy pill and you booty bump it, your anus is going to start absorbing that ecstasy pill. And there's a lot of veins in your intestines. And so it'll absorb quickly through there. And then you'll get the whole pill, 100% of it. And that'll get in your bloodstream and then you'll get high. Some people do eye drops. There are certain drugs that you can take using eye drops. That's three to five minutes. You got transdermal. Fentanyl is transdermal. You know, so that just means through skin contact. That time varies. It, it does take a little bit, a little while to do it. Just go back to taking drugs rectally. Uh, people also take them vaginally as well. I have been told by users that they take GHB and soak GHB in a tampon, and then they'll either stick it in their rectum or they'll stick it in their vagina. So either way, you're looking at 10 to 15 minutes to get high off of taking it that route. Never in a million years would I ever think I'd be on a podcast talking about drugs, taking them rectally or vaginally, but yet here I am. So why is it important to know how people take these drugs? It's important because as an example, if you know that people can snort drugs, then you know to look at their nose while you're talking to them. What have I seen when I've looked up people's noses? I've seen the actual drug. I've seen meth. I've seen Coke. How much have I seen up their nose? Enough that I can take a NIC test applicator, scrape it out of their nose and test it and have it test positive. So theoretically, could get a possession case just out of what's up the guy's nose because a usable amount of, dr of a drug is anything that could be manipulated. So you want to look up their nose. I've seen a hole in the, the wall of the nose between the two nostrils. I've seen no nose hair inside the nostril at all. All I've seen is just straight up red, raw skin. And that's from snorting meth or, you know, a variety of other drugs. It's important to look at their arms for people that are shooting up, but not just the arms, the back of the hands, the neck, the legs, the toes, the feet. People will shoot up everywhere. People will shoot up in their penis and their vagina. So that's the second time I sat in a podcast. So again, never thought I'd be talking about that, but here we are. So these are all signs of somebody abusing drugs. Some people that smoke crack, throwing it out as an example, when people smoke crack, sometimes they burn their lips and it creates tattooing on their gum line. So on the bottom of their teeth, you'll see this black mark across the bottom of their teeth. You also see the burn marks on their tongue 
and their lips, and you'll see the burn marks on their fingers as well. People that smoke marijuana, sometimes you'll see a green coating on their tongue. A lot of drugs that people smoke creates a white coating or a brown coating on their tongue. And a lot of times it irritates their taste buds. So if you have them open up their mouth and you look inside, you can see a very dry mouth with very raised and irritated taste buds. So knowing how people take drugs into their body is important for you so you can document and justify what led you to believe that this person was a drug abuser in the first place. Is an example, if you see track marks on their arm, one inch of track marks equals 50 injection sites. So what if that guy has several inches of track marks throughout their arms? It's fair to say that that person might be a drug addict. Now you have to do a little bit more of an investigation, but just giving you an idea of what it is that we're talking about. Okay, so as we continue with identifying the drug abuser, when I first contact somebody, I look at them right away. It's called my preliminary observations. And it's what do I immediately see and what can I document that either shows or doesn't show that this person's a drug abuser or is under the influence of a drug. So again, going back to knowing how people take a drug into their body, you can see why that's important. So there are different things that you might see that can help you identify that somebody's under the influence. It's important for all the different disciplines, for business, schools, and police to be able to quickly identify a person under the influence of drugs. Because it helps you justify what you're doing. As an example with a police officer, if you're able to identify that that person's under the influence of drugs fairly quickly and you can show beyond a reasonable doubt that that person has probably just abused a drug, you might have a reason to detain that person for further investigation of a drug crime. Again, that depends on where you live and what your DA wants, what your department policy is, and what case law is in your area. But to give a good example on the police side, for me, when I contact somebody, I look at them and I look at them head to toe. And some of the things that I'll see, I'll see that they have burn marks on their lips and their tongue. And they're speaking very fast. They're hyperactive. They have dilated pupils and they're gaunt, meaning that they're uh, very skinny and bony. So all those things individually don't mean anything. But when I combine all that together, that's common with what you see with a crack addict or a cocaine addict. That is just something that I'm going to write down on paper later on to justify why I might be detaining that person because I thought they were buying crack or I thought they might have crack on their person or whatever. Again, follow the rules of your department, follow case law. It's up to you to justify what you're doing, but I'm just kind of throwing out as an example. For businesses, it's important to know because if you start seeing these things and that person's about to get in a company vehicle and drive away, you might want to stop them. Um, I've been to a lot of industrial accidents from big rigs being involved in fatal crashes to forklift crashes that have killed somebody uh, to just plain mistakes in the workplace where somebody died because the person was high. And when we went back and interviewed people that saw him, they saw all these signs and symptoms that we're going to talk about and that we have talked about, but nobody interceded. And for parents, look, if you see this on your kids, you may want to think about interceding in your kid right now to stop potential drug abuse. So some of the observations that you want to look at is, uh, or even uh, observe with your, all your senses would be like the suspect's breath. Do you smell an odor of alcohol? Do you smell a chemical odor? Chemical odor is a good one that we smell with somebody that's using PCP. Do you have a cannabis odor coming off of their breath? All these things 
again, will help you decide if that person is a drug abuser or is using drugs right now. You want to look at their face. What do you see? Does it look normal? Or do you see a bunch of pock marks and a bunch of cuts throughout their face and unhealed wounds? You know, meth addicts are a good example. They'll pick at their face and they'll create these lesions on their face that never really heal real well because they don't get good blood flow because methamphetamine is a vasoconstrictor. So they don't get great blood flow and the blood doesn't go to their face as well as it used to, so it's harder for them to heal. Do they look flushed? Are they pale? In another example, observation on the face, I see people that are huffing paint and you see gold paint all over their face. That's called a clue. What does their general appearance look like? Are they clean? Are they orderly? Or do they have blood coming out of the sleeve on their arm that shows that they just shot up? Or are they disarranged? That their clothes are on different? Is there vomit on them? Have they pissed themselves? What do their eyes look like? Do they look normal? What do those pupils look like? Are they big? Or are they really small? As an example, people who have really dilated pupils could be under the influence of marijuana, methamphetamine, cocaine. People with constricted pupils, usually it's going to be because they're a long-term stimulant abuser or they're a heroin addict or they abuse other opiates. And if you're not sure, you could always look at that person and then look at somebody that you know is sober to help you decide whether that person might be abusing drugs or not. What's their speech like? Are they talkative? Are they hyperactive? Or is it thick and slurred? Is it rapid or very slow? Is it repetitive? So people on meth and cocaine, they'll speak very fast. People on heroin will be very, very slow. People on depressants will be really, really slow. People on depressants might be incoherent. People taking dissociative anesthetics like PCP or dextromethorphan, they'll have incoherent speech. People on hallucinogens might be talking about how there's a pink elephant walking through the room right now. It could be repetitive. PCP users, if you ask them a question, they'll repeat it over and over and over again. I had one guy that was on PCP that had uh, committed a heinous crime, and I was a young man. I didn't really know anything about drug influence or drugs. In fact, I think I had just gotten off of training a couple weeks before, and he had uh, tried to kill a couple people, almost successful, and he was on PCP. And I handcuffed him and started asking him his name, and I go, what's your name? And he goes, Joe, 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 Joe. He kept saying that over and over and then just stopped. And I asked him, hey, how many times did you say your name? And he says, once, once, once. And he kept saying it over and over. Now I realize what that is. It's PCP. I've seen it repeatedly. Now, if somebody repeats their speech like that, are they on PCP? No. Remember, you're taking everything together and nothing replaces the real training in a classroom environment. What's their attitude like? Are they anxious or are they restless? You know, a lot of drugs cause paranoia and anxiety. And so they'll be, be restless and anxious. Are they agitated? People on meth can get really, really agitated. Are they excited? Are they combative? How about disinterested or uninhibited? Uh, we did an investigation into an adult bookstore where people having sex in public. A lot of the people we contacted were high in meth because people on meth are uninhibited. They will do weird sexual stuff that normal people wouldn't do. And these guys do it in public. Are they disoriented, drowsy, confused? Are they hallucinating? Do they have a loss of memory? Do they have cyclic mood swings? Are they stuporous? Are they laughing for no reason at all? Are they fumbling for things? All right, so all these things help you decide if this guy might be abusing drugs or not. 
What are their physical actions? Are they like scratching their face? You know, people that uh, do certain drugs, good stimulants are a good example, like Coke and meth. They cause your histamine levels to go up, and so they start itching all the time. Do they have a dry mouth? Look in their mouth. You'll look and just see this white, nasty coating. It's just disgusting. Or you'll look in there, and you see that their teeth are all rotted out. Think about how much it would hurt that your tooth rotted out and snapped off at the gum line. So part of the tooth is still in the gum, but it just rotted out in the part that was outside of the gum line just snapped off. Now imagine most of their teeth being like that. People on meth have that. It's called meth mouth. You'd want to document that. That's a great sign of long-term drug abuse. They have droopy eyelids. Droopy eyelids, People, you see that with people that are taking opiates, people are taking depressant drugs. They have a low raspy voice, body tremors. What's their muscle tone like? Is it rigid, flaccid? Is it normal? People on PCP have really rigid uh, muscles. You know, what else do you see? What, is it, what does their nose look like? Look up their nose and take a look. Is it red? Is there any nose hair in there? Is there a hole inside their, inside their nose somewhere? Do they have runny nose? Do they have track marks? Are they perspiring? Are they warm to the touch? Do they have residue of the drug on them? You'll see residue of meth and coke and heroin on these people when you're talking to them. Is there debris from the drug on their person? I've stopped people that were rolling a blunt and were DUI, and I could see all these signs and symptoms, the dilated pupils, the, you know, you know, just the typical signs that you would see with people under the influence of marijuana. And they've got marijuana all over their chest and shirt because they were rolling a blunt just before I stopped them. You might see the pills all over the place, or vials, or syringes, or just drug paraphernalia. Another big clue is I remember driving down the street on my motorcycle when I was a motor cop, and watching a guy next to me smoking crack. That's a clue. I've made car stops and have seen meth pipes laying in the ashtray. These are all things that you want to document that give you a rock-solid case. So just remember, we talked about these things, but it's very important for you to get formalized training. I really like the DRE program. I'm a drug recognition expert instructor. It's a great school. I only recommend it to people that are going to be working DUIs because it is such a long class and the 12-step process could be laborious at times. It's only really good for DUIs. If you're looking for just a good street school on just identifying people on the street that are high and you're using that for probable cause or to arrest them for internal possession or something like that. I really recommend drug abuse recognition, that three-day course. You can still do DUIs with it. It's just a good down and dirty course. But again, make sure that you get formalized training. All right, those tones you hear are bolo tones. I stole that from those that whole bolo idea right here. A shameless plug for Motor Cop. In his show, The Crossover Show, great show if you're not listening to it. But yeah, I stole the whole Bolo thing from his show because, dang, it's just such a good idea. Those tones are what cops hear in their car when something important is about to come out. Usually our hearts race a little bit. And a couple people have sent me messages at podcast at onlinetraining.com to let them know that every time they hear it, their heart jumps because they think some felony crime's coming across, which is why I put it in there for you. So in this session, we like to talk about an article that I think is important for you guys to know about. And in this session, I'm going to talk about an article I just wrote. I got a call from a reporter asking me about a drug called Tesla. I had heard about it about six months ago, 
really hadn't thought much about it because I didn't think it was a big deal, but apparently it's working its way through the papers and people are talking about it. So I knocked out a quick blog post about what Tesla is and why you should really care about it. Basically what Tesla is, it's just ecstasy. Well, I shouldn't say just ecstasy. It's an MDMA pill that has the Tesla logo on it. You know, Tesla Motor Corporation. It's got their logo on, on the pill. And people that punch out these MDMA pills, they'll put different logos on it, like uh, Bart Simpson or the McDonald's logo or Mitsubishi. Well, here's somebody popped out some pills that have the Tesla logo. But one of the things that I found out doing my research is that the Tesla logo pills are containing anywhere from 130 to 200 milligrams of ecstasy. So how much ecstasy is that? It's a lot. It can harm a lot of people. A common dose of an average user is 75 to 125 milligrams. And a large dose is considered 110 to 150 milligrams. Now remember, 130 to 200 milligrams is in the Tesla pill. 150 is considered a large dose. So they're getting 50 milligrams more than what's considered a large dose in a single pill. So with the Tesla MDMA pills, the user's starting with a dose that's considered very, very strong. And people that take ecstasy will routinely take more than one pill. So you can have somebody that might pop three pills in a row thinking it's just a regular MDMA pill, and they could actually be getting an exponentially larger dose of ecstasy than they were expecting to take. And there have been several reported overdoses with MDMA containing the Tesla logo. There's also some reports that some of the Tesla pills have tested positive for opiates. So think like drugs like heroin. So no doubt that there are some unscrupulous manufacturers out there that are putting the Tesla logo on their product because of the hype. If they put the Tesla logo on it after all this hype, it'll demand a higher price and move more product based on the hype. And you want to keep in mind that these type of pills are made by people using equipment not made to produce pharmaceutical grade medications. Most of the manufacturing takes place in warehouses or private homes using chemicals obtained under suspicious circumstances and mixed using inadequate measuring devices, like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. All right, that's it for this week. If you can do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review the Drug Training Podcast on iTunes. You can find more information like on Tesla. You can go to our online blog at onlinedrugtraining.com and select The Briefing Room. The Briefing Room is where we have our blog where we have all this information, including Tesla, what we just talked about. You can find more information on drugs like Tesla in my online course, Drug Trends, that you could also find at onlinedrugtraining.com. And if you can do me a favor, shoot me an email at podcast at onlinedrugtraining.com with what you want covered in this podcast. That's it for now. I'll see you next week. Be safe. Thanks for listening to the Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves. We'd love to hear your comments and respond to your questions in future episodes. Visit our accompanying website at www.onlinedrugtraining.com for more information, advice, training, and to get in touch. And join us again on the next edition of the Drug Training Podcast.